Hey everyone, this is James Mackey and welcome to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. Join us as we cover high-level thought leadership and step-by-step guides on how to make people a competitive advantage for your organization. I'm incredibly proud to be the CEO of Secure Vision, the sponsor of this show and the number one contract recruiting, embedded recruiting, and RPO firm. A thank you to our partners, Greenhouse, the hiring operating system for people-first companies, and Gem, the all-in-one hiring solution recruiters love. Let's go! Hi, everyone. Welcome to Episode 9 of Talent Acquisition Trends and Strategy. Today, we're joined by Laura Holcomb. Laura, welcome. Hi. Nice <laughs> to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for being here. I'm, I'm really excited to speak with you today. And uh, before we jump into it, would you mind telling everybody a little bit about uh, your background and what you're working on now? Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, I actually started off uh, as a recruiter in 2019. I was uh, working for a small agency in a town that I lived in called Norwich. Probably haven't heard of it, but it is a lovely place. Um, So yeah, I I cut my teeth in recruitment during the pandemic. And then I've been very, very lucky to move into in-house talent acquisition roles um, started off as an IC and now I've just joined a company called Street Bees where I'm heading up the entire talent acquisition function. So a bit of a step up for me, but I'm very much enjoying it. It's exactly the type of role that I really wanted to get my teeth into. Um, so yeah, delighted to be here. Um, and, uh, yeah, can't wait to chat about all things talent. Sure. And, and Laura, I just wanted to let you know, I'm, I'm really impressed with your progression and how quickly you've moved up. Uh, to become a leader in growth stage tech, it's not easy. And you've done it very fast, despite, I would assume, probably several obstacles, really getting your foundation uh, started in the middle of the pandemic um, must have been very challenging. So just kudos to you. Just shout out real quick for for how, how much you've accomplished in, in a relatively shorter period of time. Um, it's just really impressive. And I just don't see that type of growth very often. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm going to be honest, I've been very aggressive in trying to move my career forward. Um, but I think it comes from this place of passion. I, this is absolutely my calling in life. And um, yeah, all I want to do is just try and progress and add value where I can. And I've been very lucky with the opportunities that I've been given. So yeah, no, thank you for saying that. Really appreciate it. Well, I think one of the things that sets you aside is is one of the topics, um, you know, I wanted to discuss with you is is really just um, focusing on not only just candidate experience, but really making sure the human element of talent acquisition is front and center uh, for recruiters. And I know that's a topic that's really important to you. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about that and, and how you not only just like from a strategic big picture perspective, but how you go about implementing that on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, you know, I think at the end of the day, recruitment is is humans helping humans, right? It's a, It's a you know, it's a wonderful thing. I think it is such a, a fun job. Um, and I think that I think that sometimes people can forget about the fact that, you know, we're we're all just trying to trying to kind of help each other. Um so yeah, I mean the reason I think it's so important is really because of the feedback I've had throughout being my time as a recruiter. Um I've always approached people in a way that I would want to be approached. I've always been very chill, you know, and just ultimately trying to have a chat. Um and I started, you know, when I first started in recruitment, I didn't really have any formal training. I was just thrown in at the deep end and so I just thought, well how how would I prefer to be contacted? How would I Want, want it done and and then I've I've had a lot of success with this method and I think that's one of the reasons I have progressed quickly because I do things quote unquote differently but I think it is the way that it always should be done um you know so we're dealing with 
people's careers it's it's a really really important part of people's lives and you can't take that for granted um and and you can't in any way treat people in a way that that you making the hire is more important than than their career and you know their livelihood um so I, I think that, you know, coming coming from that angle has has really helped me. Um, you know, I've built really strong connections off the back of it. Um, and, and like I said, I, I think that has been one of the things that has driven my my um, my career. And the thing is, that's what makes recruitment joyful. I think, you know, meeting other people, building strong connections um, and really if you get to know someone on a personal level, you will be better at your job because you will know what environments they will suit you will know what kind of roles are gonna you know be appealing to them and then you're you're better able to to place people you know in an environment where they're going to thrive and I think again that's probably one of my my biggest um my biggest skills you know in recruitment so not sure if that answered your question entirely but you know it's always how I've done it I've I imagine that it probably isn't in line with most traditional recruitment training, but I could not be more grateful for the fact that I never had that traditional training. <laughs> right. I mean, I think so in the early days when I started off in recruiting, I actually started off on the agency side as well. Mm. Uh, so, and I think, I, I think you can be a great recruiter coming from several different backgrounds, whether in-house or, or agency side. Yeah, I do totally. think one of the the advantages of coming from agency side is that it does create this like sales bent attitude when it comes to metrics and holding yourself accountable and driving results in the short term and really just push, 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 which I think is good. But I think a lot of the times what's lost in those environments is the human element. And yeah. most of the training that at least I received starting out was more so on negotiating salaries. Yeah. No, totally honest, negotiating salaries down, right? Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. No, I, honestly, right. same. It was uh, not not so much training, but just like um, being pushed to do that. Right. You know, or, you know, um, that being the main concern, bums on seats, you know, like, you know, getting people in quickly you know it was also money motivated and the thing is I was never I was don't get me wrong I was money motivated you know I wanted to make my commission but I cared much more about the people and that's why I transitioned in-house to be honest with you because you know I think that if if I had worked for an agency where really the focus was the people and I you're seeing so much more of that nowadays especially with um you know um the RPO companies that are popping up a lot as well um you know, I probably would have stayed in agency a lot longer, but I didn't have that experience. And so I wanted to focus on the people and focus on impacting people's lives positively on helping businesses grow, especially, you know, during such a difficult time um, during the pandemic, you know, like that was my focus. I didn't, I didn't really care about the money. Um, I just wanted to make a decent living doing what I loved basically. Sure. Yeah. I think it's, um, I mean, obviously like money is, is a, is a, an important motivator, but it's certainly, you know, you get, when you get to a certain point of stability in your life, right. Where you can, you can, you, the essentials are taken care of, right. Yeah. You, you have the, uh, we have the luxury of starting to think about, okay, but what now, right? Like what, what's going to be the, what does my career mean? Right. What's the impact I'm making yeah. mean to me and, and what types of relationships are we going to build? And I think for a lot of people, uh, the pandemic really was a course correction on values. And I oh, think 100%. Really, 
yeah, people started to really slow down and think about, okay, like what about like the relationships I'm building and, you know, even coming out of the pandemic, I mean, just with the understanding of like, okay, yeah, like obviously I want to make more money and that to, to some extent can, can operate as a yardstick for my, my progress, but people are not looking at that as like the sole indicator of success anymore. It's no longer like I'm successful if I make this much money, this is my title, right? And and this is like the brand name that I work for or whatever, right? It's, yeah. it's it's not that those things, I'm not saying that they don't matter at all. I think there's some people that might argue like it's gone the other end. I think I still think that that stuff is, it's okay to want those things. But also I think, you know, people are looking at success as being something a lot more holistic and and mm-hmm. deeper and, and and when it comes to our health, right? And our relationships and our impact. Uh, those, mm-hmm. those seem to be, for a lot of candidates that we're speaking with, those seem to matter a lot more. I mean, they're still looking at salary, obviously. Yeah. They're not going to accept a position. I mean, assuming they're making a a a, 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 a fair amount of money already. Obviously, if, if somebody's making thirty grand and they have an opportunity to make a hundred grand, they're probably going to say, "I'll I'll do it," regardless of if it aligns with some of my other values. But if somebody's making, you know, let's say seventy grand and they have the opportunity to make eighty, eighty-five, right? They might say, "Well, you know what." Uh, you know, leave the money. I'd rather, I, this is where I feel like I can make the best impact and the strongest relationships and have the best experience. And that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And then, you know, if if you really hit it lucky, you'll find kind of all of that in one place. And I think that in order to be the most successful that you can be, be you an individual or a company, putting your people at the heart of everything and treating people incredibly well and, you know, being human in everything you do is actually really going to help you probably be more successful and nowadays when you think about the rise of the personal brand on LinkedIn I mean I just cannot get away from it um and it's a good thing I love that people are being educated on the power of building a really authentic personal brand and how that can drive success um for yourself I mean for your for your organization as well I mean I don't want to go on, off on a tangent around personal branding but the power the unbelievable power of like people in your team if you recruit for a business, you know, posting about their positive experiences on LinkedIn and creating a buzz like that, you know, it's it's unbelievable. So if you do humanize everything you do from a personal perspective, you know, if, if a company does that as well, okay, you, I'm not going to say you're not going to fail, but you know, you're setting yourself up for success. And I think that one company that does that incredibly well is my old company, ReachDesk, who attract incredible people because they are an incredible company to work for, um, have a great culture. And that's enabling them to grow incredibly quickly because they are putting people at the heart of everything they do. Yeah, for sure. I and I, I agree with you on on LinkedIn side uh, uh, side of those too because we we post a lot of content on LinkedIn and we've made several hires this year uh, from the relationships that we've built uh, yeah. on LinkedIn and it has been like one of one of the many uh, drivers that we have to 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 attract recruiters to come to our team and it's I mean it's been pretty pretty helpful for us. And also for just awareness, uh, client acquisition across the board, it just seems to be really, really good uh, in multiple ways. So we're definitely in alignment there, definitely in alignment when it comes to putting people first and creating great experiences. And I think just to kind of circle back to to say just one more thing in regards to, you know, the training that recruiters are receiving. Mm. I think think that um, when they're starting out, there definitely should be a, a bigger emphasis on that human element. Because it's not just about it being a core value of maybe people similar to us, but the reality is that it does drive better hiring outcomes. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, if you don't spend 
more than 50% of your initial screen call with the candidate, like, I don't like to say selling the company or like, but really working through the elements of the company and the role that align well with that person that you're speaking to and really like making a personalized human experience for them, mm-hmm. you are, you know, you're shooting yourself in the foot, you know, that, that kind of excitement that you can build in that first call, you know, that it's just so important. And I think that, you know, gone are the days where you get on a recruiter call and they're just, you know, buffing questions at you and, you know, just treating you like another number because it's, right. you know, it's just not going to work. People are yeah. too wise to it now. And I think it probably in the early days, I, I, I remember sometimes I would even catch myself, uh, to be co- completely honest, if I was back to back eight calls in a row, um, <laughs> you know, probably where some of the times I started to sound a little robotic and then I kind of had to do a pulse check of like, okay, you know, let's, you know, let's, let's get back on track here. We have, we, we need to be more engaged. I need to be, you know, I have to basically talking to myself saying, okay, you kind of slow down a little bit. Don't talk quite so fast, really slow down, learn, pay attention yeah. and, and add that, you know, re-engage on that human element side. Because it, I think partially some of the reason that happens is that a lot of recruiters are working quite honestly, well above the capacity that they should be right. Yeah. They're, they're short staff. They don't have enough resources, right? A lot of companies, particularly in tech really see recruiting as a transactional motion and don't want to make the investment that they really have to, to get the best possible results. And so you usually mm-hmm. have a very small team of recruiters that are on the verge of essentially burnout. And so I think that's one of those elements to creating great human experiences starts with creating them for your employees. Yeah, absolutely. And then say I could like I could talk till the cows come home about, you know, the structure, what I consider to be the proper structure of a talent team, because, you know, I think that if you're not giving your if you're not giving your people the time to be able to build these connections, which are ultimately going to lead to your talent department being very, very effective, then, you know, this is one thing that I'm trying to do in my in my new role at Street Bees, you know, it's about making sure that before we're running away trying to hire people and, and run process that we've we're at, run processes that we're actually doing things right from the get-go um and you know treating people really well from the get-go and, and giving making sure people have enough time i mean in an ideal world i think that talent departments should be kind of divided into three sections you have a kind of a nurture team you have an an attraction team and an acquisition team and two of those teams their entire in my ideal talent acquisition department if I was running that department and had all of this resource I I would have two teams dedicated to building relationships to to nurturing to to saying like look you know, I want to have a conversation with you purely in order to make this connection. And then maybe a role will come up. And I'm sure that a lot of the big, com- bigger companies do do it like that. I'm not saying that I've reinvented the wheel, but I think that smaller companies should try and invest in a setup similar to that if they can, because mm-hmm. it, it's, it's an investment for the future. You know, if you're a company that wants to scale and you want to be a thousand heads or more, if you do that from the day, from day one, if you have talent at the talent at the leadership table and if you have a department that's built in order to foster real human connection from day one as soon as you need you're at a thousand people you know it should be just so easy you've built so many connections and you can bring people in in a very quick and effective way into roles that you know are gonna really really excite people and actually going even further than that you might even be able to start building out 
roles based on these incredible people you've had conversations with and knowing their skill sets you know it's just yeah it's um it's ultimately a sales job isn't it recruitment um in the sense of you know if you're not hiring I call it hiring like a BDR you know if you're not nurturing and you're not you know keeping these relationships going even if nothing has happened right now you're shooting yourself in the foot yeah I I agree with you and one thing we're thinking about right now is basically having a separate position at Secure Vision. We don't know exactly what it's going to be called yet. Uh, it could be like recruiting ops manager. It could be like recruitment marketing manager. We're not really sure because it's kind of a combination of several things. And so we're tr- yeah. still trying to define it. But basically what I want to do is figure out you know, what are the top 10 positions that Secure Vision fill, uh, fills for our clients company-wide, you know, product roles, engineering, sales, marketing, whatever the top roles are, and to proactively develop those candidate pools yeah. and then to basically produce uh, tailored, relevant, valuable content for them on an ongoing basis. Yeah, and, and- <clears throat> absolutely brilliant. I mean, that is the kind of thing that I think if every company has the budget to do something like that, they should. Um, you know, you think of it like, you know, in businesses who are selling, especially in tech, selling a product they will be churning out so much content in you know that is aligned to the verticals of the people that they're trying to reach why would you not do that for talent why would you not apply the same techniques of adding value and and really you know you probably want your content to be more focused around you know um the company and the kind of value you can add to someone's life but it's the same thing yeah you know and it just it just blows my mind that more i mean i don't get me wrong i get it budgets you know we would all love to have someone dedicated to building talent pools for us purely like that, you know, budget budgets often prevent it. But if you can recruitment leaders out there, if you do have the ability to do that in your team, do it, you know, it's only going to serve you well. And it's only the the reputation of your business will just shoot through the roof. If you are providing value without expecting anything back apart from maybe having a conversation, if a role came up, you know, And one of the other things that we're thinking about doing too is in addition to, okay, so like this curated content that I was talking about developing for all the top positions, right? Mm. We're thinking, I mean, it's not even content in relation to secure, what secure vision can offer, or what our, our clients can offer just, but really just focused on, okay, what do engineers care about? Like what questions yeah. do they have? Like what, what do they like talking about? Like, you know, what kind of content do they consume? And I mean, it could, it might have, like, we could throw like a curated event, for instance, a virtual or in-person, probably virtual, I would assume, because everybody's remote. But, uh, you know, having these little curated events where there might be like a panel of speakers, like from like VPs of engineering of growth stage tech companies talking about something that, you know, engineers care about, or same thing with sales leaders. And just obviously the whole, all of it would be hosted by Secure Vision. And we're just thinking like, how valuable and cool would that be? And how interesting of a differentiator would that be um, for us to do something like that? And I mean, but it's again, it really is a, a full time job. And uh, is, yeah, and so. you know, I I think there's a possibility of even kind of um, taking it one step further, and you know, not selling that as a service, but you know, if you can collect real data points around what genuinely interests and motivates people in different fields, you know, I think that 
if you can understand people in those fields and know what they're looking for when it comes to a new role or a new company and you want to attract the top minds in that field, you know, you, you'll want to be thinking about that kind of thing. So, yeah, that that sounds like an absolutely incredible kind of role that you're thinking about. And um, I think it would, you know, it's, it's guaranteed to um, set you apart from other businesses who aren't putting the time into doing that and really understanding the people that they are, you know, the industries they're recruiting and the people who are in those industries, you know. Sure. Well, I think, you know, just because you mentioned doing something similar, I think more people are starting to think about this. I think, yeah, we will, hopefully, I think we're going to start to see, I mean, it's it's never going to be widely uh, adopted, I don't think. I mean, I think it's going to be like, uh, you know, the t- 90th percentile organizations are going to, to do this, like the companies that are committed to doing talent acquisition, you know, you know the best way they're yeah. going to gonna adapt to this, but everybody else, I, I still think it's going to be kind of, you know, a struggle and, and we're not, you know, probably going to get a buy and you're going to see it a little bit more than we're seeing it now, but um, I still think yeah. that for whatever reason, there's just a lot of organizations out there that see recruiting as kind of this transactional light switch, right? They can just flip on and off when they want, and they're not necessarily playing the long game, right? They're thinking yeah. in terms of like hiring surge, or they're thinking in terms of one quarter from now, or, you know, they're, they're just not uh, being as strategic as they probably should be. Uh, you know, from our opinion, right, uh, in terms of how they yeah, run the account acquisition department. I don't understand why people don't. I mean, can you imagine if you're if you uh, had a revenue target and you you just you just deployed your sales team for a quarter and then hit the revenue target and stopped, and that was just it because oh, we've hit that now, we'll stop. No, it's an ongoing strategic initiative in your business, talent acquisition. Mm-hmm. The pe- the people in your business are the ones that do the thing. To, to make you grow so why would you not be constantly investing in ways to identify attract and actually you know going further you know bring in and retain the best minds mm-hmm. you know it it always does blow my mind when you see tech companies specifically when you know the sales teams or like the revenue generating org are the messiahs you know they are the most important thing when you forget that talent brought all of those people in most of the time uh, and talent are the ones that bring in these amazing people who do the amazing thing um so yeah you know i i i I hope i hope that more companies do kind of come around and, and and focus on this as early as possible in their growth journey and continue to do so for the long term because it will only help them scale I agree. And uh, I, there's two other, actually two topics that I wanted to to dive in uh, with you today. So I, I want to make sure we have time for that. Um, one one thing that I found very interesting about your background is that you became a recruiter, um, at least from what I could tell on LinkedIn, uh, shortly before the pandemic started. So yeah. getting into talent acquisition, it's, it's, it's hard, it's hard work. Your first year or two into, I mean, it's always hard, but particularly your first year or two in talent acquisition is usually pretty hard. Um, mm. Working on the agency side is pretty hard as well, right? Being mm-hmm. an agency recruiter can be pretty hard. So the fact that you were an agency recruiter for the first time in the middle of a pandemic um, must have been a, uh, I would assume, a pretty challenging, uh, a pretty challenging uh, time. And I'm, I'm curious to to learn how that could have uh, possibly shaped your foundation or your perspective on things and what you learned from that and. And how, yeah, again, how it kind of shaped your foundation and, and how it impacts the work that you do today. 
Mm. Yeah. So um, I've pretty much never known recruiting outside of the pandemic. When I first started, I think it was about three months. Um, <laughs> yeah, three months. And the thing is, the first the first three months, I worked for a really small agency. We didn't have LinkedIn recruiter. My first three months of being a recruiter, before in the good old days, before LinkedIn capped the number of connection requests you could send, was me sending connection request after connection request after connection request. And just saying to people, are you open to new opportunities? And that was my entire recruitment process. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was weird. I think I've never known any different. So it's it's difficult for me to say how different I am as a recruiter now compared to if I had started pre-pandemic. You know, what I think I was exposed to a lot of was, first of all, a lot of redundancies. You know, that that was rife in my first year of recruitment. So I spoke to a lot of people who um who you know had had their world completely upended and actually you know they were they were feeling really really negatively about their careers and and really kind of struggling and I think that definitely made me realize probably much sooner than I would have done just how impactful uh, you know a a career it you know, someone's job is on their life that sounds really stupid but you know genuinely no, it, it makes yeah. it makes a lot of sense so i think you yeah. honestly answered this question in the first topic we discussed today which is i did a little bit yeah so maybe that's <laughs> it right like maybe what what you learned right is the fact that to be truly impactful in what you do is to recognize the influence and and how much what you do really matters to the people that you engage with and to always yeah. keep that human element, that people element front and center in every conversation that you're having. And I think I think that's kind of, you know, in, in maybe ways, maybe that foundation is what has been one of the things, one of the several things that has probably propelled you forward to the position yeah. that you're in now, right? Because you, you learned that so. very early on. I also developed an absolute abhorrence for companies that treat people like excuse my language, crap. Um, you know, I absolutely hate it. And I, I was exposed to so much of it over the pandemic, just like, bye, you know, you know, we're not, I mean, I know we, in the UK, we were very lucky. We had a, we had a furlough scheme, which, you know, was great in terms of keeping people going, but still it was just the way people used to treat their team. I mean, I, I posted a LinkedIn post about it the other day, you know, that was one thing I was just like, I never, ever, going to put someone in a position where they're in a company that treats them like rubbish. And I'm going to use my position as a recruiter to, to get people hopefully out of bad jobs and integrate new ones or just educate people as to how they should be treated in a role. Honestly, it just, I, I just, it's one of the things that, again, I don't necessarily think I would have been as passionate about or as aware of had it not been for the pandemic and for hearing people's stories, that was one thing that definitely affected it. And also, actually, another thing, I realised just how how lucky I was to be in the tech in the tech industry. To be honest, I think the tech industry is just an incredible industry to be in. Um, you know, a, quite a few companies, tech companies, continued to grow just for the nature of what they do throughout the pandemic. The opportunities in this industry are incredible. And so another thing that recruiting through the pandemic has kind of taught me is, you know, this industry is, is incredibly special and I want to open as many doors as I possibly can, you know, through what I do. And I have, you know, very, oh, it's been brilliant. I've, I've managed to help so many people transition into tech 
and it's been life-changing and I think that again the pandemic in some ways has kind of informed that I I feel very lucky to have started recruiting when I did I spent like I mean on my LinkedIn it looks like I'm 21 because I uh unfortunately not because I don't really have any of my jobs before recruitment because I was really in and out of really crap jobs and I you know didn't have a great time in my 20s I like to say they were a dumpster fire so yeah I don't I don't think I'd be the recruiter I am today unless I had started in the pandemic so you know everything happens for a reason that's it's it's a really cool story and um I you know I, I think the one the last topic that we're gonna have time for today and I know we're coming up on time here in about six minutes um, I, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, listening in, we, we again, we get a fair amount of executives, uh, people, leaders, uh, CHROs, uh, business founders, executives. Uh, we also get, you know, a fair amount of people that are in staffing recruiting or internal recruiters. And I think uh, there's a, at least a, a rather large segment of the listeners that uh, maybe are aspiring to get into talent leadership. Yeah. And so I was hoping you could share um I guess maybe to start, like what foundational skill sets you feel like recruiters need to develop in order to take that next step into uh, talent leadership, what's most important, um, and and maybe also just a little bit about what you're learning, right, over the yeah. last couple of months. Like maybe there's some things where you thought they were important, but they're not having as big of an impact, and you realize that, okay, the job is really about this thing, right? Yeah. Or maybe you weren't anticipating. I'm just kind of curious to get your thoughts on what people need to do to get there uh, and what you need to do to be successful in, in that type of role. In order to get there, there's there's a couple of things I think really helped me. I've always been quite a self-assured person and always been quite confident in my convictions and sharing them. And so I think that, you know, one way that you can mark yourself out as a potential future leader is by rectifying problems that you see and also providing really honest feedback to your more senior stakeholders around where you see improvements can be made even if that's not your role I mean I was an IC at at reach desk and you know a couple of things I did I redesigned one of our recruitment processes because I noticed it wasn't working you know so if you see something that could be improved don't wait for permission to do it just you know I say um, ask for forgiveness not permission now it's not always possible. You're not always going to be able to, um, you know, change process. There's always going to be someone whose permission you need in some situations. But, you know, showing that willingness to, to get involved in, in other areas outside of your traditional remit, I think, is another thing that kind of marks you out as a potential leader. Um, and uh, I, I genuinely believe that, you know, because of how human I am, I get so much positive or I got so much positive feedback from stakeholders and candidates alike that people then want you to be that representative because you are the first impression of the company at the end of the day. Um, Coming into the role, like I, gosh, I, it is a never ending to-do list. First of all, Um, it's, it's so exciting being able to build from the ground up. Um, I think, you know, things that I haven't ever had to consider before, like costs and, you know, money and, you know, that's, that's all brand new and exciting. I think that one of the things that I guess I'm kind of echoing what I've just said, because one of the things I've really leaned on is my stakeholder management skills and really being able to build strong relationships very quickly. That's really helped me, you know, not, not, not asking for permission. I've just come in and I've changed a lot within my first month, but it needed to be changed. So yeah. And, and just, and just being really real and being very honest. I think honesty is is really important as well. So that was, yeah, like that's quite a few things, I guess, you know, to boil it down. 
you know, be authentic, be willing to get involved in things, be willing to go outside of your comfort zone. Trust me, I've never managed anyone before. This role is a big step up for me, but I've, I've dived in because that way you grow. If, if I mean, anyone's welcome to message me, by the way, about, you know, how, how to take this next step, more than willing to kind of coach people through it. But like I said, if I was to boil it down, I'd say, be human, be authentic, take on things outside of your comfort zone, always be willing to to, to take on more things. And if you see something broken, fix it. Right. Right. And I, um, I, the, so all very valid points. Um, and I, I can echo that because as we're promoting leaders within inside of my organization, as well as we're helping our, our clients, uh, hire leaders within their organizations, I think everything that you just said is, is spot on. And mm. there's some other things that I, I think I could even just share on, on what I'm seeing for people that want to move up into talent leadership roles. And I have a feeling that, a lot of these align with with who you are as a person and how you operate too. Um, but I think again, you know, getting back to the first thing, echoing what you said, people skills, right? Um, yeah. In terms yeah. of not only in terms of how you engage with candidates on a human level, but how can you engage with your team on a human level? Like one of the, in my opinion, one of the traits of a great manager and a great leader is that they know how to operate from a place of high empathy and high standards at the same time. And they yeah. can communicate both of those things at the same time. And that is very, can be very difficult to do. And yeah. so, yeah. you know, can you be the type of leader where you can have very uh, firm uh, conversations in regards to setting expectations, but ensure that the people that you're doing that with really, truly feel cared for and that you're yeah. going to deliver on your end of the bargain as a leader to help pull them along with the, the overall objectives that the company needs to, to reach. So I think, leading with high empathy and high high standards at the same time uh, is something that everybody uh, who is uh, uh, interested in getting into to leadership should be thinking about and studying. And I think if, if people have the budget for it, uh, they should consider executive coaching because a good executive coach can, can help them fine tune those messaging and the positioning of how to uh, approach certain topics uh, in a way that you can communicate high empathy and high, exp- uh, high standards at the same time. Um, the other thing that I see is, you know, to some extent, business acumen, which is kind of like a buzzy term, but, you know, having the ability to see beyond the situation right in front of you, yeah. right? Like you see like, okay, the blocking and tackling, like these, these are the, the this is kind of the, the, the battle or whatever the situation that's happening right here, but being able to understand how the greater implication of the decision right in front of you yeah. right? and, and being okay. If we take this course of action, then you know, two, three, four steps down the road, X, Y, Z is going to happen. Yeah. And I think for when, and it's not like, you know, people say, oh, some people naturally have it or not. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think just exposure and experience can, can people can develop it. Maybe I guess some people start a little ahead of others, but just being able to see how, okay, how do decisions impact the individual, but also impact the organization at scale. If you can kind of mentally toggle between the two and see how, uh, see the differences and the nuance there and try to find the best of both worlds, which is not always perfect, but you know, that's a really important skill set. Um, yeah. And then I'm the writing, last thing I'd writing say, these down because I'm such a new right. leader. And I'm, still, <laughs> I'm still very much learning every single day is a learning curve. So this is all great advice. Well, good, good. I'm glad you like, it. I mean, this is just stuff that I talk about with my team. And we also talk about say do ratio. Like if you especially if you're working with an executive team, your safety ratio needs to be on point, right? Meaning that if an executive says, okay, this can you, will this get done? 
your follow-up is like, yep, I've already added it to monday.com. This is the date it's going to be done. And the the leader can expect that if you said you're going to do it, it's going to get done. But the caveat of also having the skill set to say no. Uh, if you're at full capacity, understanding capacity is important too, because if you don't have capacity, then you have to go to the leader proactively and say, look, if you want me to do this now, I'm already at a full plate. So mm-hmm. what do you want me to remove from my capacity And so I can get this done or I can get started on this in three weeks. And I think a lot of people challenge with saying no to executives um, or to their leadership team because they feel really, they just, they, they want to prove themselves. They want to do right. They want to to accomplish what, what is expected of them, but they don't understand that somebody who can say no to a leader, that's actually one of the most valuable things an executive can have is have a team that's like comfortable enough to, to really speak up. And part of that is the culture that the leaders develop. But I think I just, it's just yeah, I was about to say, like, I yeah, mean, it's a Finns other culture, right? Yeah. And, it, you know, the, mm-hmm. the best leaders will have that culture of openness and feedback. I mean, like I said, you know, I've got one direct report at the moment. And I think, you know, I'm asking him for feedback every single time I speak to him. And, you know, I'm making sure that, um, that, you know, I'm, I'm making sure that, you know, I'm looking after him because that's ultimately your role as a leader is to empower and set your team up for success. You, know, you are in some ways irrelevant, right? So yeah, no, that is all absolutely stellar advice. And it's definitely something I'm going to be thinking about kind of as I continue in my leadership journey and just trying to be the best I can be. And But also actually, I think another major thing for a leader, correct me if I'm wrong, if you disagree, but I think being able to be very open about where they've made mistakes and oh, yeah. you know, where they are still learning and where they're not perfect you know, that is crucial as well, because um, there's just nothing worse than a leader who thinks they know everything because nobody knows everything. And in fact, hiring your team, you should be hiring people who are better at you than everything that you aren't very good at. And that's how you build a very, very robust team that's going to help drive significant growth, you know. So, um, yeah, fab, great advice. Yeah, the way in the way just to, um, you know, kind of uh, continue to kind of echo what you just said. It's like getting to the point where you can you can help your team avoid falling in the holes that you fell in. Right. Like you've exactly. been through it. And so it's like, how do you, you know, through uh, onboarding, learning and development process playbooks, how can you develop kind of the knowledge infrastructure to help them avoid some of the mistakes that you made? Right. Because it's I, that's I mean, I, I see that as one of the core value adds that I can bring to my team is that I pretty much made every massive mistake you can possibly make, uh, you know, starting off as a recruiter and a recruiting manager and leader, uh, just because we did build the company from the ground up, right? We didn't have any of those process or experiences previously. So, you know, it helps hopefully accelerate the learning curve from the team, right? When they can learn from somebody else's mistakes and successes, right? Obviously that you got to go through the, the wins too and discuss what works. So, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, that's exciting stuff. Well, yeah, I think this is really valuable. And again, I think um, a lot of people um, are gonna gonna be able to learn a lot from what you've accomplished and and the topics that we've discussed today. And we're actually running over time a little bit, so I think we we probably should jump off. But uh, yeah, this was a ton of fun. And, and and Laura, I hope we can continue the conversation sometime soon. And you know, yeah. please keep us posted with your progress and success. We'd we'd love to hear about it. 
No, definitely. Maybe I'll have to come back on and do an update once I'm uh, a little bit more seasoned in my in my leadership role. But look, thank you so much for having me. Your insights have been incredibly valuable. And yeah, I wish you every success the podcast and with, with the business as a whole. And yeah, let's keep in touch. Yeah, let's do it. And Laura, just real quick, where can people find you online if they want to follow your content and see what you're up to? Oh, I pretty much only have LinkedIn, actually. I, I was okay. thinking of making a Twitter. Um, but yeah, so my LinkedIn, you can find me um, if you just type my name in. I've got uh, a profile picture with a bright yellow background and me laughing that my friend took in London after he just told me a joke. Um, so yeah, but I mean, it's just linkedin.com slash in slash Laura Holcomb and Holcomb is spelled H-O-L-C-O-M-B-E. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Laura, and to everybody else tuning in. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and gained a lot of valuable insights to help guide your talent strategy. I also want to say thank you to my team at Secure Vision for making the show possible. Secure Vision is the number one embedded recruitment provider, and we are a three-time category leader on G2. Secure Vision partners with over 150 companies to provide on-demand recruiters who specialize in either tech, revenue, or GNA. For more information, you can visit securevision.io. For more content, you can follow me on LinkedIn at James Mackey or on Twitter at James Mackey DMV. We've dropped links in the description. If you want to be on our show or have any topics you'd like for us to cover, reach out at breakthroughhiring.io. We really appreciate your support with reviews on Apple Podcasts. And lastly, make sure to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday for a new episode. See you next time.